You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. ESPN's Diana Russini will be with us in a few minutes. And then our good friend Ben Standig from NBC Sports Washington will join us. He had the most accurate mock draft in the country, in the entire country. He's going to join us uh, after we talked to uh, after we talked to Diana Russini. So yesterday um, there was a conversation that we had here on the show that I had, I guess you know, with myself and Aaron, um, that actually got a, a, a ton of feedback, um, both positive and negative. Some people, in reference to our conversation about jersey numbers, um, and specifically Joe Theismann's jersey number seven, said, this is so boring, why are you wasting so much time with it? And I have to be very honest, and I said this sort of at the end of the conversation, that I am not that much moved by it anymore either. I I think there was a time you know, that I would have been more protective. Uh, You know, the net of it is, is I just think the organization should take this decision out of the hands of the player who wore the number and has been protected um, for all of these years, Joe Theismann, um, and just make the decision. And really, somebody put it very much more succinctly than I did yesterday, just retire the numbers or don't. And if they're not retired, then somebody can wear them. And if they are retired, they can't. And, and you know, that's probably the right way to do it. And then we'll get into the debate over which numbers, which have been protected over the years, should actually be retired or not retired. But I, I tend to agree with that. But the feedback was either I don't give a shit or it was very protective of Joe. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll read you this from Bobby in LA who, you know, has been a longtime listener, radio show, podcast, etc. And he wrote, could you imagine if Haskins wears number seven and turns out to be a complete failure that cannot happen and must not happen. Exclamation point. I think Haskins should pick a new number. And if he wants to seek greatness, he should carve out greatness in a new number that can be retired for him one day. Um, because if he also becomes really great, then there's going to be two number sevens that were really good, and that's just confusing, <laughs> wrote Bobby with a lot of exclamation points. A lot of people agreed that that the it's an awkward situation that Joe's been put in, but guess what? Today, Joe appeared on the Grant and Danny show on WJFK 106.7 and revealed that he has talked to Dwayne Haskins And he learned from Haskins that Haskins indeed would like to wear number seven. And Theismann, after his conversation, and he told Grant and Danny this today, he has given Haskins permission to wear number seven. So I guess that's it. Unless the Redskins step in and say, Joe, that's not your decision. But I think it would have been in their best interest to have done that before. Or now it's really going to become a story. Um, So I, I said this yesterday. I am... I don't know why it is that I feel this way because I don't think I, you know, five, ten years ago would have felt as unmoved by this subject um, as I do now. And I, and I know I and I admit I've spent far too much time talking about it, um, including here today and, and perhaps even yesterday. But there are a lot of people that care about this. Don't 
you know, don't get confused on that either. More people, uh, more Redskin fans really feel strongly one way or the other about this than don't. Um, but I, I'm not moved emotionally. Uh, and I said yesterday, if Haskins trots out onto the field and the, you know, the first preseason game, when we see him actually playing a game and he's wearing, he's wearing number seven, I'm not gonna, you know, Joe, Joe is for, for, for the most part, the first, I mean, I barely remember Sonny playing. I do remember him at the very end of his career playing in a playoff game against the Rams in 1974 and playing in 1972 before he got injured. Um, and Sonny was always very, very um, revered from the people close in my life. My father loved Sonny. My uncle loved Sonny. These are the two people that I went to games with every single Sunday growing up. And they loved Sonny. Everybody loves Sonny. I, I I think that you know seeing a number uh, another number nine out there, I think I might feel differently. Um, it's not that Theismann wasn't great because he was. He's not Sonny in the annals of NFL quarterbacking history, but he was the quarterback for the first Super Bowl. And Joe Theismann was a very good NFL quarterback. Um, and had a couple of stellar seasons, including a player of the year MVP season in 1983. Um, anyway, bottom line is I don't care that much. Um, I just wish the organization would take the players off the hook uh, and make the decision themselves. Um, so there's that. Uh, real quickly, before I get to Bruce Allen's comments from yesterday, uh, the Wizards apparently had Danny Ferry in. Um, and interviewed him yesterday to be the new GM. Rosas out of Houston and Connolly out of Denver are the other possibilities. Um, Danny Ferry, I don't think I'd have a problem with him being a GM. Uh, to be honest with you, when I've thought about this here previously, I, I, I have a default on this. And my default is that Ted and Zach, his son, are going to go with the hippest, most analytically inclined guy they can find. And more likely than not, that would in, that, that would be Rosas out of Houston, who's worked for Daryl Morey, and I, I think that that is ultimately the way they will go. I have no information on this, but I think they really believe themselves to be, you know, on the forefront, um, as they always have with, you know, the, the companies that they've been a part of as employees, like Ted was at AOL, and companies that they have owned. Um, over the years. Um, but I, I, I don't know how much Danny Ferry, you know, sold them on a 100% pure analytics approach. Maybe he did. I don't know. But there was that news um, from yesterday. Uh, then there were the games last night. Um, uh, quick thoughts on both games. Number one is that Atenacompo actually, I, I, that first half he looked so nervous and tight. I really thought in that moment and watching him play in the first half, already down a game, and Boston had the lead in the first half. It, you know, I think their lead was you know, somewhere approaching halftime between three and five points. They ended up being down uh, by a little bit at halftime. I thought Milwaukee was done. I liked Boston before this series. I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, um, but I did like Boston in this series. And I like Toronto overall to win the East, um, even though they are tied up at a game apiece with Philadelphia. But 
My God, did things change. First of all, Middleton started hitting shots from everywhere. He was 7 for 10 from behind the arc. And it seemed to loosen the Greek freak up, and he played really well in the second half. But he looked like a mental mess in the first half. The game last night... Um, I, <laughs> Draymond Green afterwards said about the game, he said the, the talk leading up to the game about the officiating, the ref chatter, um, after game one was embarrassing to the league and embarrassing to the teams and players. There was very little arguing last night. There were two key injuries in the first half. Steph Curry dislocated his finger, came back and was fine. James Harden took a finger to the eye from Draymond Green and was not fine, even though he... He went for, I think, 29 in the game or somewhere around there. Um, He was struggling uh, with the eye. You could see it. Now, it doesn't really affect him one way or the other defensively, um, but you you know that uh, you know you you want the best from James Harden um, offensively. He had a good game. He ultimately only played 34 minutes because he sat so much in the first half. Golden State wins the game 115 to 109. Um, I, I don't think that this series will go back to Houston after this weekend. We've got to wait until Tuesday, by the way, for, for uh, Saturday, I'm sorry, for game three from Tuesday night. So a long wait between games two and three. I think Golden State will somehow win one of the, the games in Houston, come back and close it out in five. That's, that's my guess on, on that. Um, neither game was dramatic necessarily. Um, uh, there was a spot where Houston cut it to three late at 92-89, I think, or maybe 93-90. Scott Foster, all the uh, you know discussion about him, uh, the guy that the, the Rockets hate, and he reportedly can't stand the Rockets. He was the Rockets were 0 and six with him refereeing games in their last six. Now they're 0 for seven, but the officiating I don't think had anything to do with it. Uh, the Nats lost again last night, Aaron. Um, you know, I was flipping back and forth between that and the NBA game. Uh, they had a two nothing lead, uh, and they blew that. And they actually got decent relief pitching last night, um, but couldn't generate enough offense. And they lose the second of this four game set uh, with St. Louis, uh, three to two. And the Nats uh, are sitting there, you know, at twelve and sixteen overall, um, some three and a half or four games behind the Phillies. Who, by the way, uh, uh, Bryce Harper last night was booed yeah. at home. Didn't take long for that, did it? No, and then he had a, just an awful, awful game. Struck out a few times and caught a ball that, I mean, it was just a lazy fly ball, and, and he tripped, and he basically fell on his face. Well, we said that you know he's in a sports town that is going to be unforgiving, um, and he's going to deal. He wanted a sports town. He got one, and he's going to have to deal with these stretches where, you know, I think he's like three for his last 20 or something or 25 or something like that, and he's going to have to deal with the criticism that comes with it because Philadelphia fans and Philadelphia media, sports media, they are unforgiving and relentless. Um, It is the opposite of what you have here, Um, and we'll see how he deals with it. I don't, you know, he had a game either last week or the week before because I do check in every night to read his box score. I'm interested to see how he's doing. And he had a game last week or the week before against Colorado on the road. And I know it was a, it was, it was Colorado on the road, but he was like five for six with, you know, a couple of RBIs and, and he had a couple of good games back to back. In fact. Um, but, uh, but now he's hitting, what's he hitting on the year? I looked at this the other day. He's it's below around 250 now. It's around 240. Here it is. Point. He's hitting 240. Yeah. 
Uh, he started off quickly. He's now hitting 240, and we saw last year, you know, the the batting average and and some big time slumps. Um, meantime, Philadelphia is still in first place, but it's bunched up. Like the the Nats aren't playing well, and they're losing games, but no one's running away with the East. You know, you've got the Phillies, the Mets, and the Braves all bunched up there, and, and the Nats are a game and a half, two games behind the Braves who are in third, right? Something like that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention real quickly, cause it was news that broke this morning before we get to the Bruce comments is that the Monday night booth for 2019 is set, um, with, uh, with Witten, you know, going back to football, Booger McFarland's going to move from on field into the booth with Joe Tessitore. Lisa Salters, sideline reporter. They didn't add anybody to the booth. They're going with the two man booth. I think they'd have been better off last year moving Booger into the booth anyway because he was the best of the bunch yes. by a lot. Um, I'm just not a big Tessator fan. Uh, and so there you go. That's it's, it. When, when's the last time that the Monday Night Football booth had was just two people? Like that was always the staple. Was Michaels that would... and Deerdorf? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big staples was that the Monday Night Football booth was the three-man booth, even though I, I like the two-man booth better. But it's interesting to see that they're just going with the uh, two-man booth. Uh, I think Michaels and Deerdorf were a two-man two, uh, team. I'm wondering if anybody since then um, – I'm looking it up here to see. I mean, over the years – I, I it doesn't have it by year on on Wikipedia. Yeah. Unless you found it, I've just got a list of all of the different analysts and different play by play guys. But um, I think Michaels and Deerdorf were a two man team there for a while. I think that's right. I could be wrong about that. All right, let's get to what Bruce Allen said yesterday. Bruce Allen uh, was on with Stephen A. and Max Kellerman on first take, and I don't know I don't know the woman's name on that on that show. I but she I saw that she was a part of the discussion. I guess she is the moderator. I don't know her name. I'm sorry, I don't watch the show a lot. Um, but Stephen A. and Max Kellerman, first take ESPN, had Bruce Allen on. And per usual, um, Bruce gives much more access to people outside of this market than people in it. Um, and it's always interesting because when he does it, he has no idea who he's going on with because he went on with Max Kellerman, who may be right now um, on television, the biggest you know name change advocate won't even use the Redskins name when talking about them. Refers to him as the Washington Football Club. I doubt Bruce even knew that, and maybe he wouldn't have cared had he known it. But here's what he said: really, the most um, the most important stuff that he said was about Dwayne Haskins. As far as Dwayne, you know, we have the the a, a great system and a great uh, environment to develop a quarterback. Uh, our offensive coordinator, our quarterback coach, our senior assistant all played quarterback in the NFL. Our head coach was a quarterback. And, of course, we have Doug Williams in the building. And we think we have the perfect environment to nurture a young player. And don't forget, the guy, the secret ingredient maybe for Patrick Mahomes was Alex Smith. So, we're pleased to have Alex and, and this group to help mentor a quarterback. Okay. Um, so three things to unpack there. Uh, great system to develop a quarterback. Um, and then he lists all of the former quarterbacks that are in the building. I, I, I actually don't feel uncomfortable with Jay Gruden and Matt Cavanaugh and Kevin O'Connell and Doug Williams being in the building dealing with the quarterback. I think Jay typically 
designs an offense that's quarterback friendly. The problem is, is that last year he didn't. Last year he didn't call plays that best suited Alex Smith. He didn't figure out the Alex Smith situation um, last year. Um, and Dwayne Haskins, you know, in terms of, you know, we, we, we heard Andy Benoit, who was, you know, on with us last week, say that Josh Rosen was the perfect quarterback um, for Jay Gruden's system more than any other quarterback in this draft. But, you know, on the general point of they don't have a great system for developing a quarterback. That's an exaggeration. We know that. But is it is it a dysfunctional system for developing a quarterback? No, not at all. It isn't. You know, Jay Gruden does that well. You know, I think Case Keenum is probably a good fit with Jay. I'm not a big Case Keenum guy, but I bet he'll get the most out of Case. I bet he was looking forward to getting the most out of Case in many ways, perhaps more than he was looking forward to the relationship with Alex Smith, which wasn't necessarily a perfect fit. Of course, Bruce didn't consider that last year when he made the trade, um, but it really wasn't working. Maybe it was on the verge of working, but it really wasn't working. Um, But we'll see whether or not it's a good fit for Jay as far as Haskins goes. The perfect environment to nurture a young player is really a lack of, you know, it's, it's, it's an exaggeration and it's borderline disingenuous because he's got an owner in the building that has historically buddied up um, next to the star quarterback, the star young quarterback, and it's been very, very destructive. Um, for them. And we know that as far as RG3 is concerned. So if Bruce feels maybe this time he can keep Dan and Dan away from his young quarterback rather than entitling him and, and, and making him feel superior to everyone else in the organization, if Dan can do that, hooray for Dan. He's grown a little bit. But I, I'd be concerned about that because we know what happened the last time they took a quarterback uh, in the first round. It's not and it hasn't been the perfect environment to nurture a young quarterback. I'm not suggesting again. I'm make make the distinction here. I do think Jay's good with quarterbacks. I do. I'm sure Kevin O'Connell and Matt Cavanaugh and Doug and Doug is a true mentor are good for a young quarterback. The owner has not been good for a young quarterback and has not created an environment in the past that was good to nurture. A young quarterback. And then finally, the Mahomes Alex Smith comparison is really not, you know, an apples to apples comparison. First of all, Mahomes sat and watched Alex Smith play for a year and had the benefit of watching Alex Smith in the best year of his career, in his aberration year, really, um, which was 2017. And I feel like perhaps many of you do that it's not an exaggeration to say that Alex Smith. Um, is a good mentor. He probably is. He's a great guy, and he probably really helped Mahomes. But let's remember, Alex Smith wasn't thrilled that they traded up for for Mahomes. He wanted to play, and it inspired him in some ways to have the best career uh, year of his career. And after the best year of his career, what did they do with him? They traded him. Uh, and they traded him because they knew what Mahomes had. I, In some ways, Aaron feel like if Mahomes had come in in the middle of 2017, he still would have been awesome yeah. without the rest of the mentoring um, from Alex Smith. Um, and I also wonder how much Alex Smith will really be involved. Is he going to be in the building? Uh, is he? Or, or is? I've heard recently that he's planning on moving back out west. Um, but we'll see. Uh, it can't hurt 
certainly to have Alex Smith in the building, you know, mentoring, especially given that Alex isn't going to be playing and in, and he'll have more time to sort of mentor um, uh, Dwayne Haskins. But I bet Jay wants him to help him with Case Keenum too, or maybe he doesn't. Actually, the more that I think about it, he's probably like, uh, don't worry, you know, talk to talk to Dwayne, I'll handle Case, and we'll get it going the way we wanted it to go last year, and it didn't. Uh, anyway, a uh, quick word about Window Nation. Uh, Window Nation right now uh, wants you to check your spring checklist. Uh, is your hose working? Is your lawnmower working? What about your windows? Go around your house, see if you've got any that are hard to get open, if you've got one that's cracked, one that's fogging up. If you do find that to be the case, it's time for some new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Take advantage of their 33% off sale going on right now for your entire project, which includes installation. It also includes, in addition to windows, siding and doors if you have a need for that. 33% off of everything. And to make quality even more affordable, you can get a house of windows right now for as low as $69 a month. That's cheaper than your cell phone bill. And if you call this week, Window Nation will give you free blinds for every window you purchase. Think about it. Take 33% off your entire order. For $69 a month, you'll get brand new energy-efficient windows plus free blinds. If you're in the market for new windows, siding, or doors, give Window Nation a call to experience their industry-best customer service with a free in-home estimate. Trust me, these guys are amazing. I've used them twice over the last decade. Harley, Aaron, Eric, they're the best. Mention my name when you call them at 866-90NATION. And remember that there is no risk. You get a free in-home estimate and a price quote that's good for 60 days. 866-90NATION or online at windownation.com. Again, that's 866-90NATION or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in Diana Rossini from ESPN. And everybody remembers Diana, not only from ESPN, but when she was in this market working at Channel 4. It's been a while. How are you? I'm great. I think uh, this last NFL season and free agency and draft, I feel like it's been one of the most exciting years uh, that I can really think of. Although I do always go back to the RG3 year, but you know, I think we all do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, there, there were a lot of stories in those years, but you were really busy last week. And, and by the way, I'll say up front, I think you did a really good job. I know you hear a lot, both good and bad from Redskin fans, as we all do, but I'm pretty confident that you got all of it right last week. Um, but before we get to all of the reporting last week on the Redskins, I'm curious, what is last week like for you? And what do they say to you? What, is, what does ESPN say to you when they assign you to D.C.? Because you've got contacts all over the league, too. I know a lot in Washington. But what was the goal last week for you in the coverage here? Well, I got a text message from my direct boss about a month and a half ago that said, how do you feel about Washington? And I knew exactly what he was getting at. Uh, and that meant he was assigning draft day. And I remember just taking a second to think about it before I responded to him of, do I really want to go back to Washington? Because I will say, in my mind, at that point, I wasn't sure they were going to go quarterback. You can argue they need one if perhaps they didn't think Case Keenan would be the future. But I kind of thought, eh, this isn't going to be a very exciting team to cover for the draft. But I love and cherished my time in Washington. I figured, you know what, 
let me just go back there and, and just go hang out with the old media crew that I used to spend days with, and maybe something will come of it. And who knew it would become the story of the draft? And uh, I'm so glad that we wound up doing it. But I know my boss, I spoke to him later about it. Um, I said, why did you pick Washington? He said, I actually just approached it as I looked at every team that I thought needed a quarterback and could possibly go there, and that's where I put reporters. And so that's where I wound up with Washington. You know what's so funny is that, um, you know, when we le- – going up to the draft, so much of the content on the draft always centers around the quarterbacks. It doesn't matter whether it's a local story or a national story. And, you know, you hear back from people that said, hey, enough about the quarterbacks. What about uh, the guards and tackles? Well, nobody really cares about the guards and tackles. And I think they put, you know, uh, reporters, including you, in all of the cities that – had a chance or were thought to be uh, in the market for a quarterback. Um, Let's get to last week, uh, and let's start, obviously, with what a lot of your reporting was on, which was the Dwayne Haskins pick. Diana, who wanted Haskins in the organization and who didn't? Well, let's back it up before we talk about where where we were last week with it. Um, I was on the Dwayne Haskins beat, so to speak, because I cover the New York Giants as well, and... That was, I thought was going to be the story of the draft, was going to be, will they take a quarterback with their first pick? So I had heard through the grapevine, um, and then also just through sources, that they did not want Dwayne Haskins. And this was gold. Uh, And they weren't switching on it. He had a pro day. I know that the New York Times were impressed with him. They, They thought he performed very well. But nothing really changed. So then I caught wind that the Redskins were really interested in Dwayne Haskins, and I didn't understand it. I I saw some of his stuff. I talked to other coaches about what they saw in his performance, and I was trying to understand why Jay Gruden would want Dwayne Haskins. So I come to find out about the connection with Dan Snyder, son and Haskins and his interest in him. So – Let's fast forward now to last week, and I start reaching out to the people that um, you know, have become sources of mine within the organization for years and years, and I just asked very casually, do you think if you go quarterback, it's going to be Dwayne Haskins? And it was, no, we're going Dwayne Haskins. And I was like, wait, what? So the way ESPN um, – our process of reporting, especially something with that magnitude, we usually go two to three sources on it. So I shared with, with Adam Schefter, who's the best at it, and he said, yeah, I've been kind of hearing that, but you, you seem like you have it locked. I said, yeah, well, I only have like one and a half right now. The, the, the half wasn't all in on it. And he's like, and Schefter pushed me. He said, go back and work on it. And and I did. And I was able to get a lot more. And in the end, it was discovered that there was a divide within the organization. And you had the scouts, you had the coaches, coaches on the offensive side of the ball who were comfortable not drafting a quarterback, who wanted to go defense, who if they, I mean, I'm sure if the offensive coaches could really pick, it would be a wide receiver uh, or a tight end. But they understood as a whole the team needed to improve at the pass rush. And Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen did not want that. They wanted Dwayne Haskins, and they weren't budging. 
So when you say, and you know, I've, I, I read through all of the tweets and, and we were talking to people too. And I think, I think, I mean, you were all over it last week in terms of this being a, a high level front office owner, team president, this is who we want. Um, and you know, Diana, going back to the end of the season, I have felt for a few months that this was going to be a different off season and that, you know, if you were in that stadium for the the Philadelphia finale where it was taken over by Philadelphia fans and even looked at at this season in its entirety where, you know, the stadium for a game against Houston where the skins were six and three, you know, the, the stadium was a third empty, you know, for a game that was a legitimate big game. I mean, the television ratings plummeted, you know, even when they were winning, you know, there's been a lot of erosion of the fan base here. And it was my feeling that Dan wasn't going to put up with it anymore, that, you know, the off-seasons of Paul Richardson's and Pernell McPhee's and Orlando Scandrick's just wasn't going to suffice. So I was expecting, and I, you know, they they did go after, you know, Antonio Brown. They, they, they didn't get Antonio Brown, but there was a lot of interest there. That would have been a big splash. They signed Landon Collins, but the quarterback was always... For Dan, I felt like this was going to be a big deal, and you, I think you were all over it. And that you know, he really inserted himself into the process. When you mentioned the scouts and the coaches, especially the offensive coaches, wanted to go, you know, with a defensive player that they were okay. Um, was it more about sticking to the board and drafting the best player available, or did they also have reservations about the player? It was. They wanted to go with the work that they put into it for the year. And, and I think that's where the frustration was coming from when talking to different people on the football side of it. The attitude was essentially, what, why are we here? If you're not going to trust and listen to what we think is great for the team and what is best for the team. And I, I do believe that with the move of them being able to move up and get Montez Sweat wound up becoming a little bit of the aloe to the burn for this team because they were so frustrated in the war room. And I spoke right. to people right after the pick. You know, Some of the people that shared with me their thoughts about what they were doing before the draft, I was able to talk to them a little bit after. And they, even leading up to it, by the way, um, we, we did a, a preview show an hour before the draft, and you know, I reached out to all my people like, hey, what's the feeling there? And nobody knew what Dan and Bruce were going to do at that point. And, and I trust those people. Like they would have just said, Hey, I can't tell you, or, you know, it seems like we're going to probably stick with the board and go defense now. Or, you know, we had a last minute campaign for this. It was, we don't know. This is Dan and Bruce. And I, I, I just think that that's very telling. I think, I think what Dan Snyder decided to do in the end, which is go with who he wanted was also a message sent back to his own organization of, I'm the owner, this is my team, I'm picking who I think should be on this roster. And while I'm sure he respects their opinions, um, I think the message was heard loud and clear from the people inside. One of your tweets, um, and I talked about this uh, the other day, you tweeted out, as for Dan Snyder getting his way with the quarterback pick, my belief is this was a very bold reminder to anyone who leaked out information that he's the owner of the team and this is, in capital letters, his team. You will not beat him. And you just referred to some of that. But the part, and, and tell me if I read this the wrong way, but – 
you know, you had a lot of reporting. There was a lot of reporting about what the Redskins were thinking and what was going on, and Dan Snyder was taking over the first round, et cetera, et cetera. Did that just piss him off and make him say, this is my goddamn pick, and I'm picking the guy I want. I don't care what the board looks like. Well, I can tell you he wasn't happy. I know that for a fact. He was not happy with me. He was not happy with the reports. He was not happy with the information that was out there. And I get that. I don't blame him. Um, he wanted to keep all that information about who they liked, why they liked, who in their organization. You know, what, what's interesting, I was just talking to Jeff Darlington, another NFL reporter, about that night. And he said, if you go back and listen to all the reports, most of our reporters were projecting or possibly leaning towards a pick. You're the only one saying this is what they're doing. He's like, that's not normal, and it's not good. That's not, it's not good information. It doesn't help anybody. So to me, Kevin, I, I think this is layered. I think there's more going on in the building than we know about. Yeah. I don't think everything is kumbaya and I'm not sure if changes will be made before the season starts but I do know the the one thing that this staff that is currently there the the pressure is high and they need to win and they know it well you just you just threw something out there and it's it, you know that you don't know that changes will be made before the season starts and I think I actually think that I would Put that at a massive long shot, and I know we're we're referring to the coaching staff here. Let's let's uh, I mean let's be clear on that and the frustration that that, that the coaching staff felt over um, over the Haskins pick at fifteen. But I do think, and I'll ask you: Do you believe that Jay understands that this year upcoming, um, he better win or that's it? I think he understands. Um, I, you know, even just talking the night of the draft at the at the podium, um, I mean, he looked tired at it. You know, there were a lot of people were reading into his body language of look, he didn't look happy. Uh, you know, he wasn't enthusiastic. Um, my read from from Gruden over the last few weeks has just been, and even just from communicating with him at times, he just wants to run his offense, and he'll deal with whatever quarterback. He, he's presented with because he just believes that he well he knows he needs to win he that 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 staff i know for a fact that goes back to the combine when i was talking to them um and they don't have this feeling of we're dead men walking they kind of have look this is the league this is the way it works uh every you know everyone has pressure on them but i do think that the staff thought they could win with case so the fact that they have another tool uh, you know in their box in a, in a rookie who does have talent I believe that Gruden can can actually do something with him, and and that's gonna you know obviously gonna be another topic of conversation of how's this gonna work at camp, you know who who is Case coming in as a starter? Is this a true competition? Is this gonna be one of those situations that we saw with Kirk and Robert where eh, we kind of knew that Kirk was playing better at camp? It was obvious he was the better quarterback. All the receivers were telling us, yet you know they stuck with RG three. Um, I'm curious to see if this is gonna be a true competition. And, and and see if Snyder allows this offensive coaching staff to 
really pick who the best QB is. Yeah, I think that that, and I've referred to it, that the drama to come is if it's clear that Haskins isn't ready, does this you know, result in a major confrontation between Dan and the coaching staff as to who plays? Uh, I mean, we know what the all-in for week one turned out to be in 2013. By the way, um, let's for, for a moment, if if Jay um, and, and the coaches and the scouts – we're like, okay, uh, we have our direction. We have to take a quarterback. Um, but at least we get to choose who that quarterback is at 15. Do you think they would have chosen Haskins? Do you think Haskins, other than Murray, who was long gone, do you think Haskins would have been the number one quarterback on their board at that point? No. I, 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 I can tell you for a fact that that was not the case. But I think if they wanted to go quarterback or if they wanted to go quarterback, they were going to go with Daniel Jones. If the Redskins' football side of this could win, they knew they were never winning this, though. This wasn't something, you know, where I know we're talking about how Dave Gettleman right now is saying, oh, he knew of two other teams that were in for Daniel Jones. Yeah, they were interested in Daniel Jones. That was never going to happen. They were never going to beat Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen on a quarterback, as much as they were trying to campaign that he's the guy. Um, you know, and I had also heard that Bruce Allen wasn't even high on Kyler Murray. So that was another interesting element, too, if he wound up dropping. Um, with the Redskins moved up to get Kyler Murray, the answer to that is no. So if Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins had both been sitting there at 15, that the Giants passed on a quarterback, Denver, Miami, Cincinnati, they all pass on quarterbacks, and Murray is the only quarterback on the board. Um, we know that it was going to be Haskins. Dan would have picked Haskins at 15, but do you think there would have been a last-minute push to try to convince him that, no, if, if you're telling us we got to go quarterback here, Daniel Jones is the guy to go with at 15. Do you think that they would have tried one – or did they try to convince him, all right, you're set on quarterback, let us try to explain to you why we think Jones is better than Haskins and is higher rated on our board? Kevin, they seemed defeated. Anybody on the football side seemed exhausted that this was not going to move. And I know the day of – there was conversations about Daniel Jones again. I don't know how much of a hardcore argument they were making and throwing things in the war room. I don't believe it was like that. But I, I know that there was a little bit of tension because there were some that really wanted Bruce to take a serious look at Daniel Jones as a, as a consideration. But, um, you know, when I got when I arrived into the D.C. area on Tuesday, it was pretty much told to me when I met with all these sources and talked to them over the phone that we're going to Wayne Haskins and there's nothing we can do about it. Was there, okay, so Jones goes to uh, to the Giants at six. I'm assuming since Haskins was, they were dead set, the owner was dead set on Haskins, were they ever at any point close to trading up? I was told no. I was told that that was never on the board, that they were going to sit and let the draft come to them. And, you know, there's still so many scenarios that I would love to have seen to have, that we could be discussing now of, all right, well, if, as you've said before, if Daniel Jones was on the board, you know, would somebody have yelled and screamed? <laughs> you know, I, right. I don't know. But um, I, I think it worked out. And, and here's what I can tell you, and this is where Redskins fans should be psyched about, because I know everyone is obsessing over the fact that Daniel Snyder did pick that first 
um, selection, or he made that topic. But the overall vibe since this draft from everyone I've talked to on the front office side down, people are thrilled in this building because everybody got a little bit of what they wanted. Everyone got to get the some part of their position filled, whether it was with Bryce Love, Wes Morton, whether Montez Sweat, uh, you know, Kev- Kelvin Harmon, they, all the spots were filled for what they felt was needed. So um, in the end, as much as the drama is interesting, and, and look, it's typical Washington, it's great for a football side of it because I do think that, that there is – a team cohesion here where they feel like they have a good roster. Well, there's definitely, from what I've been told, a lot of self-congratulating going on, which isn't, oh, yeah. you know, which which is not unusual for for Dan and Bruce. But it's funny, Diana, because you know you've painted the picture of of a draft room as we're going through the first fourteen picks of Jay and Kyle and the football people just rooting and praying that Haskins gets picked, right? You know, by Miami or by Denver or by Cincinnati, and they're Dan and Bruce rooting for him to keep falling to 15. And by the way, it's not unusual for football people and personnel people and ownership to disagree on picks. I'm not trying to make it out to be like this was a totally unique situation, but you know, the picture that gets that, that you've painted is would it's an interesting room that night leading up to 15. And then of course there's huge celebration when Atlanta goes, you know, Atlanta wasn't going to take a quarterback anyway, but when Miami decides not to go quarterback, they know they're going to, or Dan knows he's going to get his guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I so Jay and Bruce have been, you know, they've they've been close over the years. Where is their relationship right now after the last couple of weeks? Do you know? I don't know specifically where it's at, but I I think that the way this draft went can tell you a lot. I think the prior years, especially when I was on the Redskins beat, they were in sync. They, I never heard from either of them that they weren't in line. They had small disagreements on, on, on football details, on sidebar coaching stuff, not on players and positions. I don't recall it when I was there. Um, so the fact that they're split on this and there was no give and not only did they go quarterback, but they didn't even go with the quarterback that the football guys wanted – um, look, I, I, I don't want to say that, that that means divorce or it's a, it's a hurt relationship, but here's something that I have learned about Jay Gruden over the years. Um, he has a really easygoing personality. Go, and go along to get along. He has this way of yep. he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't take anything too personally. His feelings don't get hurt. He's not sensitive. Um and this is just from, from having conversations with other coaches about him of, you know, what do you think about Jake Gruden? Because I've done that before because sometimes the best way to understand a team you're covering is to hear from what others think about them. Um, and, the, you know, every, he's really liked, really liked in the league and respected uh, in terms of what he can do on offense or at least how he can specifically what he can do for a quarterback. And, I think that has helped Jay over the years, and I think it helps with a Bruce Allen type of personality who likes the power, who wants to make the decisions, who thinks he he has a very good understanding of what's great for this organization, and to have somebody willing to sort of go with the flow. Um, and then now, 
with the pressure on, now Jay decides this is where he's going to say, no, this we're not in agreement. Um, I think that's interesting. I think that's very telling of where they're at. I couldn't agree more. I, I th- the one thing about Jay, he's so likable. He's so go along to get along, not confrontational with management. And I think he he loves, you know, he's a really good offensive mind. And, and that's what he wants to do. He wants to coach football. But, you know, I think uh, also he'd, he'd like to, to not feel, you know, uh, and I'm sure part of it too, Diana, was I don't want to have to deal with the quarterback drama. Keenum's good enough. Colt's good enough if he's healthy. We need to build up other areas of the team, and that gives us our best chance in 2019. Um, I think there was some of that too, don't you? And fans should be pretty um, thrilled that Gruden and his staff had enough confidence that they can make Keenum good. I think that was another takeaway for me of, man, what quarterback coach and a head coach – and an offensive coordinator, all these guys on offense, what organization doesn't want to go quarterback? Um, you know, those are the, usually the guys that want the offensive player. Um, so the fact that they thought that they could win with Case Keenum, that should be encouraging to, to fans to hear, but also the fact that now they have this um, great young rookie, and, and you know, we'll see if they can get him ready in time. I know that's going to be another concern of, you know, can he really start out of the game? We don't know. You well, know, and the challenge is on. All right, two to three quick ones, and I'll let you go. I appreciate the time so much. You mentioned from the beginning, and I just want to make sure that I am clear on this, um, coaches and scouts. Did that include Kyle Smith, who everybody's given a lot of credit to for setting the draft board. Kyle, uh, I just wanted to confirm that you you don't think that Kyle wanted a quarterback there at 15 either and that Daniel Jones was his guy more than Haskins as well. I don't uh, specifically know where Kyle was, um, but just from taking the temperature, I never heard Kyle was in the – the Bruce or Dan camp. I feel like that would have, he would have, he's a big enough name and a gigantic part of this process that if that's who he wanted, uh, then this really is a non-story because that's his job. That's right. And so that tells you that he wasn't in that camp. I think that's a good deduction. Um, does he start? Does Haskins start the opener or not? No. I, I, I think they're going to allow Jay to develop Case, get Case comfortable with his offense. And I think Case's experience is just going to um, come in handy here. And and Dwayne Haskins is just going to have to sit back and learn, and and we'll we'll see how far Case can take him. Will Dan be okay with that? I think so. I think think because Dan got his guy, I I think he's going to get antsy. I think he's going to get impatient. But I think he'll allow – Gruden to do this. I, I, I truly believe that. I think the burn of Robert Griffin is still there. And, and I think he may be able to sit back a little bit and go, all right, let's, let's try to see if this can work here and, and get this young quarterback ready and not force him to be ready. All right. Last one, and, and, uh, and I appreciate it again. There, there is, and you mentioned this, there is some positive vibe right now. Universal congratulations for the draft. Um, and we know that Jay is go along, get along, and, and, and he'll lead that as far as the staff goes. Do you think right now it's smooth sailing until the opener, until they start to play real games, or are there landmines to, to dance around between now and, and opening day? I think once this story goes away, I think it's smooth, smooth sailing. I think, I think they have this ability 
because of their personalities, as you just mentioned, to just move on from it. I think we obsess over this stuff more than they do. And the way I know that is because I'll, I always follow up of, hey, I'm sure you saw my story or I'm sure you're seeing the headlines. And I can tell you, I can speak for the football side of it. They don't pay attention to any of this. They do not care what is being said about them. They don't watch ESPN. They don't watch the NFL Network. I know the front office does. I know the football guys just, I mean, just because I bring stuff up all the time, they have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly. So I think that's good. I think that's a good thing because let them focus and worry about football. Um, these are all just distractions that creep into an organization, and they certainly don't need it. Thanks. It's really good to catch up. Great job last week. I'll talk to you soon, Diana. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thanks for talking with me. Thanks to Diana. Uh, She was great. That was a good conversation with Diana. I think we actually learned a couple of things that maybe we didn't know, um, but that Daniel Jones, for the football people, he was the highest rated quarterback uh, on their board. Uh, Look, you can choose to believe what you want to believe. I always, when I read this stuff, I think about it, and then I talk to people that I know that may know to try to either confirm it or to try to learn you know, the, the accuracy of it. And I am being totally honest with you when I tell you that everything she tweeted last week was matching up with everything that I was hearing. I think she was right about everything. Um, now, Jay's go-along, get-along personality, he's going to try to make this thing work. And if if Haskins isn't ready, I think he'll be very upfront and say, hey, guys, Bruce, Dan, he's not ready. You know, we'll hurt him if we start him early. Let's give him time. And maybe they won't listen. Um, maybe they'll push it. Uh, Diana doesn't think that they will. Uh, they think they're happy that they got their guy, the guy for the future. They can sell, you know, Haskins in my view, even if he doesn't play in week one. Um, but you know, with Case Keenum and, and Colt McCoy there, and I've said this the last few days, it's not inconceivable that, that a rookie quarterback could beat those guys out. I, I do think in, in, for the most part, Diana sort of confirmed this, and I believe this to be true. Jay is, you know, bullish on Keenum. I think he was a part of that decision, unlike the decision last year to trade for Alex Smith. I think he sees things in Case Keenum that he is comfortable in working with, which is why more than maybe anything else, not just the player involved, but he was okay in going into 2019 with Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. Um, But anyway, thanks to Diana uh, for spending some time with us. Quick word about Scentbird. Uh, Guys, Mother's Day is coming up, uh, and Scentbird gives you an opportunity to get into a subscription-based service for perfumes, perhaps, for your significant other or your mom or somebody um, important in your life. But Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes and perfumes without having to buy the entire bottle. That's important because good colognes and good perfumes are expensive. A lot of you guys don't know actually what you are even wearing if you're even wearing something at all. And if you are wearing something, sometimes it's just something that you were given several years ago and you've never moved on and tried anything else. Scentbird is... A, a subscription service which gives you an opportunity to pick something that works for you without having to buy the entire bottle. They've got 450 designer brands to choose from, Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. You choose the cologne or the perfume that you want to try or your, that your significant other wants to try. They'll send you a 30-day supply. Not sure what type you're looking for, what type of scent. 
You can check out user ratings and reviews, and Scentbird even has a quiz you can take to discover a more personalized recommendation. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first fragrance, cologne, or perfume. Go to Scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC, Kevin, Steve, Douglas, Charlie, for 50% off your first month. Again, that's Scentbird, S C E N T Bird.com slash KSDC for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, let's bring in our good friend Ben Standig, who, of course, works for NBC Sports Washington. And I, I I have to tell you that I'm I'm sitting here um, yesterday, or, or or maybe Aaron had called me the night before to say, hey, we should have Ben on the show. And I said, we just had him on the show last week. And he said, yeah, but he had the best mock draft of anybody. And my assumption was, oh, that's great, but it, it, anybody in town. What I didn't realize is you had the best mock draft of anybody in the country. In the entire United States, as Lefty Drizel would say. Congratulations, man. I had no idea there was even a, a, a group or a site that tracked all of this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, you, you have to be a certain level of nerddom to uh, to be aware of these things. But, uh, yes, uh, I did win the uh, the contest. I won it uh, a, year, a few years back. And, uh you know, as I said in the post article, go, goes to show what happens when you uh, give up a social life. Uh, <laughs> your life. Um, y- you know what? I really am. I'm so happy for you. And I, in in reading through this, I, I want to get a couple of things clear before we get to the actual results. So there's a website called the Huddle Report, which tracks a lot of these NFL mock drafts. They've been apparently doing it for 17 years. And they award one point for correctly picking a player who was selected in the first round and two points for correctly uh, matching uh, said player to the correct team. And as you mentioned, this is the second time that you've won. Does the huddle report track, like, I mean, Kuiper, McShay, all of the people at ESPN, NFL Network, it's anybody that does a mock draft, they're, they're, they're in this contest. No, so so he, so here's the deal with this one. So the huddle report's been around a long time, and you, for most of it, I believe like every, you, you have to submit your entry to it, which is kind, which is not abnormal for how a lot of these things work. And the thing is that a lot of the, I think the national guys, say with ESPN in particular, they punted a couple of years ago. Like Kuiper used to be in this for sure. I don't remember if McShay was. And then a couple of years ago, they bailed. I suspect they bailed in part because they didn't want to. <laughs> they yeah, weren't they winning. They look bad. To, I guess because like I know there's a there's a fantasy football version of this on a different site, and Matthew Barry also used to be on it, and he also Ugh. no longer is on it. So I don't know if it was the ESPN corporate thing. In any event, uh, like Mike, like but you have to submit. But like Mike Mayock submitted historically before he took the Raiders job. But I think he was like I, I'm not my, my big joke going into this year was that I was ranked fifth over the last five years and the Raiders GM was ranked ninth. So that was my, <laughs> that, that was my line to girls. Uh, but like, you know, Daniel oh, Jeremiah's God. in it and, and uh, Evan Silva. So, so people do submit it, but yeah, th- there's other ones out there who will, will go out on their own and come up with their own methodology and track 
everybody's, but this is this is you have to submit. You have to want to you know want to be bold and do it. And there you go. How do the young pretty ladies react to you telling them that you've won the mock draft contest twice? And you're the only two time winner. Yeah, I haven't used the twice part yet. I, I will say that it has not worked as well as you might think. Um, historically, <laughs> yeah, it's not a, uh, it's not a, it's a what? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <clears throat> so that, that that's the hail mary. If I really have get striking out, I was like, oh, I might as well just go for some notoriety here. I'll see if they give a crap. But uh, yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe maybe, maybe I'll take the two time champ one out first spin. Do you know that if anybody tracks mock schedules? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, but I mean, clearly. You're a Hall of Famer there, so I don't think anybody else really wants to uh, I mean, the results aren't very good, but it was certainly a pioneering move. Um, all right, so you in your final mock draft, you got 27 of the 32 first-round selections correct, and you had 11 exact matches, so that was a total of 49 points, which were more than 100 other mock drafters that the Huddle Report, this group that tracks it, um, tracked. But included, in, included in that list are guys like Daniel Jeremiah, who's a big deal at NFL Network, and Lance Zierlein at NFL.com, and Evan Silva at Roto World, and you beat them all um, for the second time. Let's go through like the pick that you're most proud of that you got right and the one that was most frustrating that you got wrong. Um, sure. Well, the, the most proud, I guess it's a, it's, it's a sort of a, 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 there's a twofold thing. There's, there's the homework. I mean, I, I legitimately, I don't study 18 million hours of tape the way these other guys do, but I do read everything I can. I, I you know, as I've, when I won the contest several years ago, I was an absolute nobody. So I had no sources. Now I have at least a few. So I do check with some people and based on one of those Sources led to one 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 call, and that was the Chris Lindstrom pick to the Falcons because I had been told that Lindstrom was, had visited the Redskins, which was my initial sort of interest in this. But then from that, I heard that he had a private workout like the next day or two with the Falcons. And I, I, when I started looking at my, my 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 board, it just sort of like I want. I couldn't figure out what the, what I was going to do with Atlanta at a certain point, and the Lindstrom thing seemed to be interesting, and it just it just felt over time that 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 made a lot of sense. So I shoved him in there. I don't think almost anybody had Lindstrom going there, and sure enough, that one hit. The other one is, uh, as I mentioned in the post article, part of what it's what works for me is just some sort of uh, honed instincts from over the years, I guess, of doing this. And I look back. The, I put Jerry Tillery, the Notre Dame defensive tackle to the Chargers at whatever pick they had, 28, back in January, like January wow. 15th. And, and then in, in, in the next 15 mock drafts, I never changed it one time. And at the very end, I was looking at it going, because he, he was starting to slide out of most mock drafts in the first round, and I was like, the hell with it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all in. I've kept it this long, so I left it in there, um, and that worked. Um, the, the one other thing I'll just say, when I came on your podcast, the day before the draft, you asked me who do I think the Redskins are going to pick, and on tape you had me saying Brian Burns. And yes. over the next few hours, not because of the Dan Snyder taking control of the draft room and stuff, but as I kept looking at my board, I just couldn't figure out where is Dwayne Haskins going. I didn't think he was going to go to Denver. Same with Drew Locke. I didn't think the Denver. I didn't think the Bengals. I had to put them somewhere, and then it just became – all right, if, the, if he's really there at 15, if I really now have to accept that he might be there at 15, do I actually think the Redskins organization will pass? 
not what Jay Gruden wants, the organization. I was like, uh, I can't think they're going to pass. So from like sort of a contest perspective, like I, I felt better about Dwayne Haskins being there than you say Burns or Sweat or anybody. And so I went that way. And well, that I mean, right. this is just a stupid podcast. Your official pick was the one you released on NBC Sports Washington, and I'm looking at it right yeah. here, and you had Dwayne, you had Haskins at 15. So which is the, – the Tillery thing is amazing. I mean, the fact that you had this going way back to, to the first mock you did, Jerry Tillery to the Chargers at 28, is, <laughs> is pretty good. Um, what, what were the ones that you missed that, you, that you're frustrated with after the fact? Um, well, obviously nobody had Cleveland Farrell or the Raiders at four, but that actually didn't, wasn't a bad thing because nobody had him and it was such a random move. I had him in the first round, but it was, it was such a random move. It didn't really mess with me, uh, too much. I guess if I had to be frustrated about any one thing, probably, uh, at the very last second, I, you know, it, it became a deal where I had like 35, 36 players I wanted to put in the first round. And, you know, you can't obviously do that. And at the very last second, I put in Josh Jacobs to the Raiders, which was a good thing, but I took out one of the cornerbacks, and the one I took out was DeAndre Baker, who actually was the one picked in the first round, not Murphy, not Greedy Williams. So I was a little bummed um, with with, with that. But, uh, you know, I can can nitpick myself to death, but like I said, you know, in putting Haskins to the Redskins, it also meant Burns to the – to the Panthers and things like that. So you know, enough enough things worked out. Um, I can't I can't I can't complain too much. But yeah, probably the Baker one, just because uh, you know I wanted to get as many as I could possibly get in the first round. You know what um, is is interesting, and, and you will know the answer to this more than I will. Is all of the discussion about DK Metcalf and the incredible indie combine that he had, and the numbers, and you know he was uh, for a long stretch there a guy that everybody mocked in the first round, if not the top half of the first round. In fact, when we did our mock draft here and then invited, I don't know, seven or, or eight of you on to make the pick, a couple of people picked Metcalf at fifteen, right, Aaron? A couple of the guys picked yeah. Metcalf at 15. In your mock draft, you did not have Metcalf going in the first round. I, I haven't addressed this on the podcast, but I remember thinking as uh, on Thursday night and even on Friday night, um, boy, did he really drop. You know, and it's funny because Cooley was on here and, and a, lot of, a lot of us felt the same way, that he was more of a workout warrior than a true football player or a natural wide receiver, and it looks like the league spoke to that. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing I always point to is, you know, look, there are guys like you mentioned, Daniel Jeremiah, Kuiper, McShay, and they're clearly talking to people around the league, which from a mock draft perspective is both helpful and it may be can be hindering. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely had people sit, tell me some stuff that I just like, mm, I don't know if I believe that, uh, but okay, whatever. And you take it under advisement. But like, you know, those guys are also studying the tape and, they, you know, McShay and Kuiper had Metcalf at various points among their top 20 prospects. So there, from their perspective, he looked like a, uh, you know, real deal. But, uh, you know, uh, even within the combine, you know, some of the, the agility drills he was just horrendous at. He looked you know, incredibly stiff. And then in talking to some people, you know, around the league, I, I remember, you know, one former GM told me he, he liked A.J. Brown, the other receiver of Mississippi, way better than Metcalf. That if you look at Metcalf's numbers, yes, he he missed some games with injuries, but he had far less production than AJ Brown, and you had to ask, well, why? Why, why is that? Part of it, this, the thought was that the, the the quarterback probably trusted AJ Brown more than Metcalf, and yeah, so so I think if you just got caught up in the 
if you, if you heard, if you saw the combine and then largely checked out, you, you didn't realize that Metcalf was sliding. And as far as the Redskins specifically, I almost took great offense when people kept giving them a receiver. I mean, it was nonsense. For, for one, yes, they obviously need a receiver, but you could tell nobody had much passion for these receivers, even if Metcalf went in the first round. Like, I mean, Marquise Brown was the first one off the wood of 25. The Redskins had so many other holes, and this was also a very deep receiver class. You know, they, they took McLaurin in the third round. That's the way I was looking at it the whole time, that they would get somebody on day two. It just was ridiculous to me that people kept sending the Redskins the receiver at 15 in the year in which they were not considered to be any great receivers. They just had a mock draft. This is what happens often. They need to put this guy somewhere in round one. This team needs a receiver. I'm not going to think overthink this. Boom, they get that guy, and they just move on. All right. Um, so congratulations on that. And I'm serious. It's not it's it's not a, an easy thing to do. And it doesn't necessarily, as I've spent time talking about on the podcast here, mean that these players where they were picked are go- going to end up being great players. But mocking this mock draft cottage industry has become more than cottage. It's now big time business. And you were the best. I mean, you finished number one uh, among mock drafters in the entire country. Um, for for the second time, uh, that's awesome, and hopefully it, it leads to. I mean, you you were very self deprecating in the story in the post, but you know, people people that you work for and others should recognize this because people are into the draft and they're into these mocks all year long. Now, um, a couple of things about the draft, and I haven't spent a lot of time on this, but it, I just I just was sort of reminded um, during this conversation. Um, you had Daniel Jones going to the Giants at 17. Obviously, they took him at 6. And then we had teams that were thought to be potential quarterback teams, Denver, my, uh, Cincinnati, and Miami, pass on quarterbacks. And the Redskins got Haskins at 15. If the Redskins hadn't taken Haskins at 15, how far would he have dropped in your view? I think it's a great question. At, you know, My, my take was that the teams to keep an eye on out for the the sneaky teams to keep an eye out on the quarterbacks were the teams at the with the older with the older guys the you know the Chargers the Patriots Steelers Packers because you could imagine one of those teams deciding like the Chiefs did a couple of years ago with Pat Patrick Mahomes that they were going to make a move to get that guy so I do wonder if if Haskins gets past the Redskins do one of those teams uh, does one of those teams make a move up obviously none of them made the play for Rosen which wouldn't have cost them. You know, it, it could have been the same first-round pick. You know, the, to the Cardinals, they didn't make that move, so maybe I'm wrong in thinking that. But, I, I, I mean, I would imagine he went somewhere in the first round, even if it was, you know, that some team, you know, maybe it's even like Denver or maybe even the Redskins, like, you know, trading. Like, right. the, the, essentially, if the Redskins do the same trade that they did for Sweat, uh, you know, maybe it's the back of the first round. So I suspect he gets in the first round. But you know, here's the one thing I guess I would say about, about this. I have, you know, like you said, we have no idea – what any of these guys will do it has nothing to do with this mock draft or any of this other crap. But typically, I would just say in general, any quarterbacks that are getting picked outside the top ten are risky. I know quarterbacks in general are risky. Ryan Leaf was the second pick and was an utter disaster. But typically, teams are not passing on a quarterback they think is effectively a can't miss anywhere. So if you get to fifteen, people have questions, and uh, and then you know you go beyond that. It's even more so. So I think that's the thing. I heard the term risky used a lot with Haskins pre-draft. Some people liked him, but the risky was said a lot. And, and I think that's a factored into the fact that the Redskins were able to get him without having to trade up because a lot of other teams were like, eh, okay, we'll see. 
Have you done uh, your first one for 2020 yet? Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <clears throat> proud to say, or, or ashamed to say, I don't know which one of them, but the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> the, 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 I'll just say that the, the nobody likes the mock drafts more than the bosses. I'll just, uh, the, people seem to like, the, 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 they seem to generate traffic. So, yes, the order came in over the weekend. Uh, yeah, drop whatever else you're doing. Put up a 2021 immediately. All right, so All right. You've, got, you've got a 2020 mock draft already up. Um, where, first of all, where are the Redskins picking? All right, because that's that 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 reflects what you think they're going to do in twenty to twenty nineteen. So where are they picking? Because the Bleacher Report had them with the number one pick in the draft next year. Yeah, I think I, I some I think people who did the the, the twenty twenty a lot of times they went with like whatever the odds the betting odds were, and I think the Redskins were yeah first or second. Uh, I, I didn't do that. I just, I'll be honest. I didn't put in like a ton of time into that part of it. I kind of took the current order, shuffled it around a little bit, and just went from there. I, I think I had the Redskins 13th. I, I don't. I mean, I've still been sort of in that seven and nine range, and but you know, my, I dropped it a little bit from 15 because I'm like, well, if, if Haskins starts playing, I mean, it can't be worse than Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson, obviously. But at the same point, if you have a rookie quarterback, I'm not counting on tons of wins, and. uh I don't know if you just asked me about who who I gave them, but I, I went with a defensive back thinking – I went with a corner thinking this is probably the last year for Josh Norman, depending on how things go. And the safety – there's a kid uh, – uh, the, the, the new big safety at LSU uh, looks like he could be like a top – you know, potential like top five pick. So he's who, number, outside who, there, right? who number five? What? Uh, he's number. He's their new number seven. The Delpit. The, the, the he's the new. Oh, you know, the, in the lineage of Tyron Matthew. Yeah, and all yeah. That no, stuff. Delpit. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I I thought for a second you said Florida. Um. Uh. Okay. So you've got him taking Grant Delpit at thirteen. No, no. So so I have Delpit going something something to consider if they really do bottom out in the top five. I do have them going with a cornerback from Florida, C.J. Henderson. But whatever that. Yeah, means, that's right? that's the guy. Number five. Who, that's a, okay. Yeah. That's who I thought you were referring to. Delpit. Yeah, just, Delpit would be incredible. I mean, what a player he was last year. I would think he's in the top ten. Was your number? Who had the number one overall pick? And was it Tua? <laughs> yeah. I, I, sorry, Josh Rosen. I gave the number one pick to Miami. Josh so oh. Rosen might have to go through this. Go, go through this again. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, obviously the mock draft at this point is literally just to introduce the characters to the upcoming television show known as College Football more than it is a, to mean absolutely anything. I actually went back and looked at what I did last year's uh, 2019 way too early. And, like it was, you know, a lot of the names were there, were, were still the same, but 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 a lot of the other guys were completely you know different or fell out. So much will change obviously over the course of the college football season and. Uh, We'll see, but yeah, I mean, I, the core—it's sort of a bummer that the Redskins have a quarterback because the quarterbacks are going to dominate again this year in the conversation with those three guys at the top: Tua, Fromm, and uh, Herbert. And I, and I think, by the way, th- you're you're much closer to reality at 13 than Bleacher Report was with the number one pick in terms of the Redskins pick in 2020. I would guess that it's going to be somewhere between six and 15 again. You know, it's. I mean, there's a seven and nine, six and ten type of season is going to put you, you know, in that in that range where where you are. Are you doing? Do you do this for the NBA draft? Uh, I do. Okay, so have you? I have not seen it. Can it, it, can I access your NBA mock right now? The uh, you, you can. I believe there's a new one <laughs> coming up today. Uh, 
I, I've been do I was I started it like late in the college basketball season and then did it like weekly during the NCAA tournament and have taken off taken some time off. But uh, the, the, I did submit a new one yesterday, so I think it's up today or tomorrow on NBC Sports Washington. Again, this, at this point, until we, until we have the lottery, until we start getting some actual right. buzz. It, you know, it's hard to say. Well, who, so who did you have for the Wizards? Were they picking in that five or six spot, assuming that they don't win the, the lottery? Yeah, I left them in the six spot. And I've been, you know, d- you know, between DeAndre Hunter, uh, Jared Culver, Kobe White, Cam Reddish. I mean, it feels like one of those four guys. I think this time I've got Kobe White in there. Uh, it just, has, he I, I just like up, has he jumped up that high? It's possible I'm letting the momentum I hear from different from different people who just absolutely love him, but I think he's at least in that conversation. I mean, I I, I put him, and maybe it was just because I wanted to do something different, but I put him ahead of Reddish and, and Culver. That that could be unbelievably wrong. I mean, Reddish obviously faded late in the season, but I, I, people still think he's got superstar potential. And, and Culver, you know, he obviously did a great job of leading Texas Tech to the last game, but then he sort of you know, stunk, especially shooting-wise with his decision-making in the last two games. But nonetheless, obviously a, a tremendous player. Uh, the, the Kobe White thing I think is interesting simply from the Wizards' perspective because he can help them at point guard down with Wall out, but he's got enough size to play off the ball. I don't really like the idea of them taking a point guard. I mean, I get it. If, if they get number two and John Morant's there, you got to think about it. But, but you know, taking that guy and then what are you doing with Wall does eventually come back. It's sort of weird. At least Kobe White, I think, could play both guard spots. I think that's why he'd be interesting. You know, I was thinking about this, and I had a conversation. My my boys and I were talking about this the other day because they're so into the NBA draft. And I, there's no way in my mind's eye that the Wizards should pass on John Morant if they end up with the, a, a, a second pick. Like if they were to be in that number two spot behind wherever Zion goes, I he's to me. He's he looks can't miss. I mean, of course they always do, but he looks the part to me more than almost anybody not named Zion in the draft. Like R.J. Barrett can't guard anybody. I don't know who's going to guard at the next level. And I, I love his offensive talent with his size. John Morant to me looks like a major difference maker at that position at, at the next level. I don't th- I don't know how they'd pass on him. I I I don't think you're wrong. When when Morant had that amazing uh, NCAA that, that that first round game against uh, Marquette, I uh, started checking around with people around the league and say, okay, hypothetical. The Wizards get, I think I said at that point, they get the third pick. Let's just say Zion and R.J. Barrett are off the board. Morant's there. You obviously have John Wall, but he's hurt. Do you take John Morant? And the response I got was a resounding hell yes from basically everybody. You take him, you figure out the rest. And I think also from the Wizards' perspective, look, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with John Wall. Yeah, you can't can't be sure. Right, right. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, if we get to the sixth pick, then maybe you can start deferring a little bit. But yeah, if you're at that point, if, if the talent is, you just think he's the best guy at the left after Zion. Yeah, I, I think at this point you take him and you figure it out later. Where did Bruno go in in your mock? Late twenties. Um, I know there was some sense of potential lottery talk at some point during the year, but uh, the sense I have at, as the season ended was. With lottery, I mean, you know, interesting. Uh, you know, obviously he's athletic. His shot improved a bunch, uh, and, and, and you know, because of his athleticism, he's, there, there's a there's a place for him 
in the league, but you know, I, I think there was like I, I think maybe the, the the lottery talk, if that really was sincere at all, was was, was a bit overstated. All right, um, congrats again. Seriously, that's really you know that is there's not. I'm sure there's some luck involved, but you got 27 of the 32 first round selections. You know, maybe the, the exact matches 11. That's a lot for a mock draft. I mean. I love the, a mock draft as much as anybody does, and you know they're they're not. It's you you look at the mock, you know, when it's over, and it's like, yeah, they most guys aren't close. You really you nailed it. That's terrific. It's great publicity for you, and and I'm happy for you. And and now I'm going to have to lock you into a, a contract next year to be our official you know, podcast mock drafter. I mean, I, I knew you were doing this. I mean, that's why we, we had John and, and talking about this leading up to the draft, but I had no idea you were that proficient. I didn't even know about your victory in 2012, which by the way, seriously, and I mean this about you, um, it shows your humility because you and I have had these conversations before. You've never mentioned to me that you were the national champion mock drafter in 2012. Never knew that until I read this story last night. Um, but that's also who Ben is. Ben's not a big uh, self-promoter. Uh, so we'll do it for him. Thanks, man. Congrats. I appreciate it. I'm going to have to hire the Sheehan PR firm to, <laughs> well, uh, to help people know these You things. do have to let some information fly a little bit about yourself. And then then we can all talk about you and, and we'll, we'll do the... Uh, We'll do the promoing for you. We'll be out there stumping for you. But you got to let us know that you actually won something in 2012. And I'm, I'm uh, I, I appreciate. It. I, I will therefore mention this: that last year I didn't win the contest, but I actually had I got 29 of 32, which was the most that anybody had last. But year. you didn't so have enough match. Year. But what? Uh, but yeah, I didn't have enough matches. What'd you place? What was your place? Uh, sort of middle of the pack. I wasn't really like you know. I, I didn't get that many. I didn't come close to getting the 11 I got this year, so I had the most in the round, but not close to the most matches. All right, thanks so much. Congrats again. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Appreciate it, guys. All right, thanks to Ben Standig, and you can follow him at Ben Standig on Twitter. Uh, one last thing, and then we'll finish it. Finish it up. Um, the Raiders, you know, drafted Josh Jacobs, the running back, in the first round, late in the first round from Alabama. He was the first running back taken. Um, it's good that they did because Isaiah Crowell is done with a torn ACL. Um, tore the ACL during a workout uh, yesterday. Um, his Achilles, I'm sorry, blew out his Achilles, not his ACL, my fault. His Achilles. Uh, and he's done for the season. So Josh Jacobs in Oakland, you know, and a lot of expectations for the Raiders this year. Uh, they don't have really any other running backs on that roster. So that rookie will start. That's a position where you can come in and start. Uh, that year. Um, but that's going to be a team, you know, they, they, so Derek Carr now, you know, we, we have to believe that, that John Gruden sold on Derek Carr. You'll have Carr, you'll have a B at one wide receiver. They drafted Hunter Renfro, you know, from Clemson, you know, at some point in the middle rounds, they've got JJ Nelson. They've got, uh, the guy from the chargers Williams, who they got in free agency. Um, boy, the Raiders are really going to be one of those interesting teams to watch this year. Yep. Josh Jacobs, nine to one offensive rookie of the year odds right now. Nine to one. Yeah. Well, who's the favorite? Uh, Murray. 
Dwayne yeah. Haskins is second, actually. Yeah, I thought I saw that Dwayne Haskins was yeah. second. Yeah, Haskins second, but Jacobs at nine to one, pretty good value there. You know that first weekend of the season features the Monday night doubleheader. It's Houston, New Orleans, which will be Tessitore, Booger, Booger, McFarland, and Lisa Salters. I have no idea who will call the second game, uh, but that second game is Flacco's debut for Denver at Oakland. Yeah. And that second Monday night game. I always love that first weekend where you get two Monday night games. I think, well, they, they would never do it because you basically exclude the East Coast from from the second game. Uh, right. But it would be... It would be different. I wouldn't mind two Monday night games every week. Oh, yeah. Uh, don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes. Subscribe as well. That helps us and tell everybody that isn't, uh, you know, that aren't listening right now that they can listen very easily at the Kevin Sheehan Show Dot com. Thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Diana Rossini. Thanks to Ben Standig. Have a great day.